Thank you, Paul. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up with me to the book of Esther. Now, today is a little bit unusual because of all the different moving parts that we have uh, with the barbecue, and we have graduate recognition coming up in a few moments. So you may have noticed that I'm up preaching a little bit earlier than normal because we have some some things uh, happening at the end of the service. In fact, I think we're going to we're going to announce the winners of the barbecue competition before the barbecue. So since you're in 11 o'clock, you've got a big advantage because you know which barbecue is the best because you'll know who the winners are because you were in the service. And if you smell some people come into the service that smell very strongly of wood and smoke, uh, you know, that's just the folks that have been cooking us lunch. And we're the only church, only Baptist church in town that has a smoking section. And so, um, you know, just go with it. It's a one-week-only thing. Uh, we're in the final week of a series called Opportunity of Adversity. You'll remember that in week one, we began by looking at Romans chapter 8, and we talked about three theological truths there from Romans chapter 8. Number one, God's plan seeks to liberate what He creates. First of all, in sending Christ to die on the cross for our sins, He is liberating the human heart from the bondage of sin, and when Christ returns again, then creation itself will be liberated whenever He reigns as King of kings, as Lord of lords. Secondly, we discovered that God's plan is more immense than what I can sense. God is always doing more than what we see or what we can control, what we can uh, just neatly package within our clean little worlds. God is always at work, and we have the joy of joining Him in His work. Thirdly, we discussed how God will vindicate what He dictates. When God has determined something, it will prove itself to be true, and we see that over and over again in Scripture. So in week two, we looked at a businessman, a man by the name of Job, and we saw how Job lost everything that he had obtained, and yet he continued to maintain his faith in God. Even as he pressed through his questions, he maintained his faith in God, and God honored his faith. In week three, we saw a mother by the name of Jockeybed who stared adversity in the face, and she placed her young boy Moses into the basket and put him in the river, not knowing what was going to happen with him, but trusting God. God delivered him from the Nile River. He grew up in the Pharaoh's palace, and eventually God used that young man Moses to become one of the greatest uh, liberators the world has ever known in leading the people out of slavery. Then in week four, last week, we looked at a teenager, a young man by the name of Daniel who had been taken from his homeland. Everything that he knew was disrupted, and yet Daniel determined within his heart not to defile himself. He stared adversity in the faith and face, and he said, I'm going to follow God rather than take the easy way out. Now today, we're going to look at a beauty queen, a lady by the name of Esther. And adversity had brought her an opportunity to show that she was much more than just a pretty face. Think about someone who became a national celebrity because of her beauty. Think of someone that, that comes to your mind, a national celebrity, and the main reason why they are a celebrity is because of their beauty. Well, if you're old enough to remember young Elvis then uh, you might remember some ladies like Grace Kelly, Marilyn Monroe, 
If you grew up watching the Dukes of Hazard and Elf, anybody grow up watching Dukes of Hazard and Elf? You know the children of the '80s and '90s. You know, you may remember Julia Roberts and Vanna White from Wheel of Fortune. Uh, if you grow up today, then you might think of Katy Perry or Beyonce or Lady Gaga. We're kind of going downhill there, aren't we? But uh, Esther had become a national celebrity because of her beauty. Now, here's the story. This is a fascinating story within Scripture, the book of Esther. The king of Persia, Ahasuerus, a.k.a. Xerxes I, think of the movie 300, the Persian king in that movie, that's who we're talking about here. He decides he's going to display his power and his wealth for 180 days. And so they have a massive party. They partied like it was 489 B.C. And at the end of this 180-day party, there is the grand finale, and it's going to be a week-long feast. It's going to take place in, in the garden that is at the fortress of Susa. And so there's this massive week-long festival, think Woodstock. It was not exactly upright. It was a little bit uh, immoral. It was wild, uh, but, but it was big. And so at the end of all this, the king is smashed. He is drunk. He has been partying for 180 days. He has a beautiful wife named Vashti, and he commands her to come show off her beauty. Now, you can imagine what he wanted her to do. Vashti gets this command from the king. She's just finished hosting a big festival for the women of the kingdom, and he wants her to come and, and do this before all the men of the kingdom. And so she looks at it and says, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. Well, the king's mad. He's furious. Nobody says no to the king. And not only is the king mad, but all the king's men are mad too. They come to him and say, look, if your wife is going to tell you no, then our wives are going to start telling us no. You've got to do something about this, king. We need you to act here. So the king, and you've probably heard of the laws of the Medes and the Persian, Persians, whenever the king of Persia decreed something, it was in concrete. So he issues a divorce decree from Vashti. Well, days pass. The king sobers up. He uh, regrets what had happened, yet he can't undo it. And so he's a little depressed. He's a little upset. So the people come to him, his advisors come to him and say, well, what you need is a new queen. And so enter Esther. Esther and her cousin Mordecai. Mordecai had been through a lot. Like Daniel, he was yanked out of his homeland. He was brought to Babylon. He had been trained in the ways of the Babylonian Empire and then put into a position of administration there in Babylon. He was the cousin to this young woman named Esther. Esther had also been through a tremendous amount of adversity because she had been orphaned. And yet Mordecai took her into his home and he raised her as if he, she were his daughter. Chapter 1, verse 7, Esther grows up. And here's how the Bible describes her. It says she had a beautiful figure and was extremely good-looking. So the king... He's looking for a queen, and he sees Esther, and he's like, that'll work. And, and he falls in love with her, and he makes her queen, and then they have this big feast in her honor, 
and she starts serving as the queen. Well, in chapter 2, Mordecai is out at the king's gates, and he hears of two guys who are planning to assassinate king, the king. So he then goes and tells Esther, and because of Mordecai, the king's life is saved. I'm telling you, this book reads like the Game of Thrones. It's an episode from Days of Our Life. In chapter 3, we meet this evil dude. His name is Haman. Whenever I say Haman, you boo, okay? So Haman is promoted to second in the kingdom, and everyone is bowing down. Everyone is paying homage. Whenever he walks into the palace on the, in the morning, everybody bows down before him, brings him gifts. Uh, they are treating him like a king. They want Haman's ear, okay? Everybody except for Mordecai. Mordecai, yeah, you know, Mordecai knows that Haman is bad news. And so day after day, Haman refuses, I'm sorry, I got messed up. Mordecai refuses, seeing if you're still with me, Mordecai refuses to pay homage to Haman. And, and eventually they start coming to Mordecai and they start saying, look, you've got to respect this guy. He's going to get you. And so Haman this is going to get old pretty quickly. Let's do it one more time, okay? Haman <laughs> comes to King Xerxes, and, and he basically says, hey, I'm going to give you some money if you'll kill Mordecai. <laughs> what are you cheering for? Yeah, It's like ancient Rome in the gladiator games here, yeah. Uh, okay, so he says, I'll, I'll give you some money if you kill Mordecai, but he's not satisfied with just killing Mordecai, all the Jewish people. Basically, we're going to do mass genocide. Now, here's the problem. Esther, who's the queen, is Jewish, but she hadn't told the king, so he has no idea. So the king issues this decree. The Jewish people are going to be wiped out. Mordecai learns of it before it hits CNN and Fox News. So he decides the one person who can really save the Jewish people from mass genocide is Esther. And that's where we pick up the story in chapter 4 and verse 8. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa ordering their destruction so that Hathak might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and command her to approach the king, implore her favor, his favor, and plead with him personally for her people. Hathak came and repeated Mordecai's response to Esther. So Mordecai makes Esther aware of this decree. But here's the problem. Esther was living a great life. She was living in the mansions. She had gold-plated chariots. She had private chefs. She was able to fly around on Air Force One. And so she really didn't want to mess things up. Understand this. Sometimes adversity disguises itself in wealth and beauty. Haman appeared to be wise. He was a wealthy, powerful man, but beneath the surface he was evil. 
Esther appeared to be living large. She seemed as though she had everything that life could offer, but in reality, her husband had just signed her death sentence. And she didn't want to take her eyes off of stuff long enough to look at her reality. Sometimes adversity disguises itself as beauty and wealth. It's that lady at work that laughs at your jokes all the time text you, tells you how great you are, compliments you. You look at her and she just seems perfect. In reality, she wants to destroy your, destroy your life. Chase her and you'll violate your marriage. You will wound your children for the rest of their life. You wanted it, so you stalked it. You went into debt to get it. But now you have it. You've been wanting to purchase this forever. You couldn't afford it, but you got it. You have it. You're living large, totally unaware. But as you go through the weekend, your bosses are meeting, and they plan to lay you off on Monday. There's nothing wrong with being beautiful. Nothing wrong with having nice things. But I think we have to remember that Beauty and wealth can often deceive. In verse 10, Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to tell Mordecai. Here's what she says. All the royal officials and people of the royal provinces know that one law applies to every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard and who has not been summoned, the death penalty. Only if the king extends the gold scepter will that person live. I have not been summoned to appear before the king for 30 days. Esther's response was reported to Mordecai. Now, Esther was given Mordecai the hand. She knew how to get the king's attention. She had gotten the king's attention in the past. She knew how, how to get a presence uh, 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 in his presence. Yet, she didn't want to do it. And so, at this point... All the words of, of Mordecai were just like blah, 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 blah. Esther had forgotten something very important. She had forgotten that God blesses us to be a blessing. When God brings a blessing into your life, He doesn't bring it into your life for it just to implode upon you. When God brings a blessing into your life, your life becomes a channel so that that blessing that you receive can then be extended to others in service. Why do you think God gave you that talent? Why do you get, think God gave you that discernment, that insight? Why do you think God gave you that great opportunity or God blessed you with that great intelligence? Do you think He just gave it to you for you? He gave it to you so that you can serve Him and others. And when God blesses you, He blesses you to be a blessing. Yet at this point, Esther wasn't realizing that. Esther's beauty was not an accident. God had given her physical beauty for a spiritual purpose. Yet she had lost sight of why she was blessed. She had lost sight of the reality and opportunities that are in adversity. And she had lost sight of the wisdom of her family. Mordecai was trying to speak wisdom into her life. But she, at this point in the story, she just wasn't going to hear it. So Mordecai, in verse 13, told the messenger to reply to Esther, Don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. Esther had someone who loved her enough 
to tell her the truth. Do you have that in your life? Someone that loves you enough to tell you the truth? Mordecai had raised her. He knew her. He knew what she was thinking. And she was thinking to herself, you know, this is the, the empire of Persia. People die all the time in this empire. It's not going to happen to me. And so Mordecai reminds her, don't think you're going to escape because you live in the king's palace. Translation, Esther, you've gotten a little bit too big for your toga. If you don't listen to me, you're going to die. Verse 14, if you keep silent at this time, liberation and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place, but you and your father's house will be destroyed. Who knows? This is one of the greatest lines in the Bible. Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. The story God has written for your life is probably a little different than the story you wrote for your own life. In a few minutes, we're going to recognize our graduates. In the last service, we had them come forward and prayed over them. And <clears throat> I think about these graduates who are at that major transition point in life where they go from kind of being a kid to being a young adult, and they have hopes and dreams and stories for their life. And the truth is, is that the story that we set out on, uh, God always brings some turns that we didn't expect. There's always things that come into our life that we didn't envision, we didn't anticipate. The story that God writes for your life will be a little different than your own story, but it's not an accident. Mordecai says to Esther, only God knows for sure, but perhaps... Perhaps God put you in this royal position for such a time as this. And then he tells her this, you best not forget this. You can do what you want to do. God's going to fulfill his purposes with or without you. He's going to deliver the Jewish people with or without you. But if you will obey God and follow him, God can use you to be a part of his plan. And I wonder in your own life, what are the, as such a time, for such a time as this, moments that you're facing? Who are the people in your life that God has called you to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to them? Is it your neighbors, family members, people at your school, people in your workplace? Who are the people that are in your life that you can be the agent of God that will deliver the love of God to their life? Because in each of our lives, if we begin taking inventory, there are some of these for such a time as this. God has put me in this position through His divine pleasure, and it's no accident. What are the opportunities that God has brought you for such a time as this? Now, Esther had a decision to make. Was she going to live and die chasing a fading beauty and temporary things? Or was she going to be a woman of valor, a woman of faith, chasing godly beauty and eternal realities? So verse 15, God stirs Esther's heart, and Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days or day or night. And I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. And after that, I will go to the king, even if it's against the law. If I perish, I perish. She's becoming a woman of courage. So Mordecai went and did everything Esther had ordered him. 
In verse 16, she fasts, and she asks Mordecai, have the people fast with you for me? In the Bible, whenever people fast, it's because they're seeking God. They're seeking God's power. And so here, it, she was praying, she was fasting, she was seeking God's power in the whole situation. In chapter 5, Esther does get an audience with the king, and he gives her permission to plan a great banquet in honor of him and Haman. And Haman, meanwhile, is just getting angrier and angrier at Mordecai, and outside Haman's house, he builds a 75-foot gallow, and he tells his family, I'm going to kill Haman on this. Go to chapter 6. The king he can't sleep. He had been to the Texas barbecue, and he had eaten too much, and he didn't have any tums. And so he calls for the book of events. It was this book, I guess it was a scroll, that, uh, that they recorded all the events there in the king's life. And so he starts reading the book of events. He was a humble kind of guy. I wanted to read about what he'd been doing. And in the process of reading the book of events, he comes across the story of Mordecai, how Mordecai had saved his life from the assassination attempt. It's really one of the funniest chapters in all the Bible, Esther chapter 6, because the king then goes to Haman and says, Haman, what should the king do for somebody that saved his life? And Haman thinks he's talking about him. And he's like, well, you ought to honor that guy greatly and like do all sorts of wonderful things for him. And then the king says, okay, would you please do all that for Mordecai? <laughs> Meanwhile, Haman just gets more and more furious while God is working on the king's heart for his purposes. Chapter 7, if you have your Bible, open it up there. Chapter 7 is the culmination of the entire story. I want to encourage you to read this book somewhere during the course of this week and reflect upon what we talked about today. But in verse 1 of chapter 7, the Bible says, The king and Haman came to the feast with Esther the queen. And once again, on the second day, while drinking wine, the king asked Esther. Now, he's been drinking wine for two days, so he probably reads more like, Queen Esther, what would you, <laughs> Queen Esther, what would you ask? Whatever you ask will be given to you, and whatever you seek, even to half the kingdom, will be done. Queen Esther answered, If I have obtained your approval, my king, and if the king is pleased, spare my life, this is my request, and spare my people, this is my desire. For my people and I have been sold out to destruction, death, and extermination. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept silent. Indeed, the trouble wouldn't be worth burdening the king. King Ahasuerus spoke up and asked Queen Esther, Who is this and where is the one who would devise such a scheme? And Esther answered, The adversary and enemy is the evil Haman. There you go. Now put yourself in his sandals. Haman stood terrified before the king and queen. I mean, he's just like, he's been busted big time. Angered by this, the king arose from where they were drinking wine and went to the palace garden. Haman remained to beg Queen Esther for his life because he realized the king was planning something terrible for him. The king returns in verse 8 from the palace garden to the house of wine drinking he had his own house for wine drinking. So he returns to the house of wine drinking, and Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. 
So the king exclaims, would he actually violate the queen while I am in the palace? And as soon as the statement left the king's mouth, Haman's face was covered. In ancient society, when someone's face was covered, it meant they had been marked for death. And Haman reached the end of the world, end of his life that day. He was ultimately hung on the same gallows that he had constructed to hang Mordecai. The beauty queen, Esther, found herself staring into the eyes of evil and impending genocide for her people. And it was then that Esther discovered that her story was actually God's story. And she became so much more than just a pretty face. Esther became a woman of courage. She was a woman of purpose. She is a woman of liberation. So that thousands of years after she is gone and in heaven, we are still reading her story and inspired by her valor. Now what's interesting about the book of Esther is that God is not mentioned anywhere in the book. And yet God is the star of the show. It was God who had blessed Esther to be a blessing. God had given Esther physical beauty for a spiritual purpose. It was God who had stirred the king's heart. It was God who allowed Esther to receive the favor of the king to be granted the audience. It was God who used Esther to deliver her people. Throughout the entire story, even though he was not mentioned, God was at work behind the scenes. And here's what I believe today. I believe that God is at work in your life too. Perhaps God has blessed you to be a blessing. Perhaps if you take inventory of your life, there are some things that God has brought into your world that you can use to make a difference in the lives of others. If we're real honest, sometimes we take those blessings and we think that they're just, they're just supposed to stop at me. And we don't realize that as God brings things into your life, He also gives you opportunities to invest in the lives of others. And God can use your life to make a difference in your workplace, in your family, in your community, in your church, when you understand that you are blessed to be a blessing. Perhaps God is stirring your heart getting your attention. Maybe for whatever reason, you've drifted from where you need to be. And God has gone to work in your life and He is calling you back to Himself. It might be that God has really put on His tool belt and gone to work in your life. And He's showing you your need of salvation. There's never been that time in your life where you bowed the knee and you realized, I'm not God, I need a God. And God has provided His Son who lived a life that I could not live, who died on the cross for my sins, who overcame death, and what God is leading me to is that point where I have my moment where I bow before the cross and I embrace Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. We call that getting saved, being born again. It's the first step of faith that God calls us to. And it might be that that's how God's stirring your heart, to take that step of faith and embrace Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. In just a couple moments, the band's going to come. They're going to lead us in what we call a time of commitment. Here's what the time of commitment's about. First of all, it's a worship time. We sing, 
We encourage you to pray. If you want to pray there at your seat, you can pray at your seat. If there's someone you want to pray with, you can go and pray with them. Sometimes people like to mark a moment in time by coming forward and praying. I'm here at the front. If there's anything that I may ever encourage you in or pray with you about, it's always my joy to do so. It could be that you're at that point where you say today, I need to make a decision in regards to my walk with God and I'm, I'm embracing Jesus as Savior and Lord. And I want to invite you to do this if that's where you are. Come and see me. You can come and see me during this next song. You can see me right after the service. But I want to help you take that step of faith and know what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Would you all be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment. The band's coming forward. I'm going to pray, and then we'll have our time of commitment. Lord, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, for your love. And thank you, Lord, that you are always at work. Lord, I thank you that as we look at both the blessings and the adversities in our life, that we see that you are at work in both of them. Help us, Lord, to glance at our problems and gaze at you. Help us, Lord, to realize that your plan is always more immense than what we can sense. Father, a lot of times we are looking for answers, but you don't always give us the answers, but you do give us your presence. So, Lord, I ask that our story might join you, that we might realize that our story is your story, and that we might live our one and only life in ways that brings glory to, that brings glory to you. Pray, Lord, that we might see and seize the opportunity to be a blessing to others. And I ask, Lord, that you might use us during those, for such a time as this moments, to come across another person's path and invest in them with the story of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.